Hi everybody, it's Fiona Sutherland here, host of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today as I speak with Anna Sweeney, who is a fellow dietitian from the Boston area in the United States. So Anna is a non-diet and health at every size dietitian who specializes in the treatment of eating disorders, disordered eating and body image concerns. She is currently the National Director of Nutrition Services for Montanito, which is an eating disorder treatment program with tons of locations across the United States. Anna is also the owner and director of Whole Life Nutrition Counseling, which is an outpatient nutrition therapy practice dedicated solely to the care of clients who are working through the process of healing their relationships with food, eating and their body. So Anna is very well known and is an active member of the local eating disorder treatment community. She speaks both locally and nationally on topics related to eating disorder treatment and recovery. And you may have heard Anna speak very openly and just absolutely brilliantly on Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast. So I refer to this particular episode at the start of our um, at the start of our um, talk together so that you can get a little bit of a background on Anna, Anna's life, um, both personally and professionally. So what you'll hear in that, which is a significant part of Anna's experience, is that Anna is also a disabled woman. So she is working really hard to bring all her parts to the work that she is so passionate about. So um, Anna's experience of being a disabled woman is not separate to her experience as an eating disorder clinician and what you'll hear is so much passion that Anna has in bringing the different parts of her to her work and encouraging our clients also to bring the different parts of them to the work that they are doing in terms of healing uh, from food, um, eating and body image difficulties. So here Anna and I uh, really dive down into some of Anna's work that she did last year when she sent out this really quite incredible and big survey to dietitians asking them about how they experience their bodies and body image, particularly in professional um, situations. And Anna's results from this survey are absolutely fascinating. And we'll be discussing them here as well as some of the possible interpretations of the results. And then we also dive down into another area which Anna is particularly uh, passionate about, and that is therapeutic diets. So um, I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, here you'll get a real understanding about why Anna is so passionate about quote unquote therapeutic diets and how we can, um, I guess, separate the, the shit from the sandwich, so to speak. Seems to be my favorite kind of topic at the moment, shit sandwiches. So uh, let's hear a lot more from Anna, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you're looking for a little bit more from The Mindful Dietitian, our website is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. And please join us on our Facebook group, which is specifically for dietitians and other health professionals who are interested in health at every size, non diet approaches, body image, eating disorders, and everything related to the experience of being a dietitian in this day and age. Hope to see you in one of those spaces very soon. There's tons of workshops and events coming up this year throughout uh, 2018 and beyond as well. So look forward to seeing you in one of those spaces. 
Hello everybody and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It is my enormous pleasure today to be introducing you to probably somebody who you are already familiar with and that is the wonderful, fabulous and my dear, dear friend Anna Sweeney. Hello Anna, welcome. Hi Fiona, thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. It's wonderful to be chatting with you. Um, so, oh my goodness, we could literally talk forever. And I'm wondering if we might start off, um, for those who are not super familiar with your work and what you've been up to, you know, how did you, how did you kind of get started in, in eating disorders and, you know, um, kind of non-diet approach way to being a dietitian? So I am... Um, very fortunate to say that I, well, this is not a thing I'm saying. This is factual. I live in Boston, in the Boston area. Um, I have been a dietitian for the last 10 years and I started, um, kind of by stroke of luck, there was a position at one of the local clinics, uh, per diem position available when I was finishing my dietetic internship. Um, and I landed that position right after right after my DI ended um, and ended up going to that, that organization. And in the next four years, I was running the Department of Nutrition. Um, oh, wow. and, and so that was, that was a wonderful experience um, working at that clinic. And mo most recently and currently, I'm actually the National Director of Nutrition Services for Montanito. Um, and I made, I made the transition from Walden to Montanito um, when Montanito actually came to the East Coast. So I have been very fortunate to have um, clinics in the area that have been things that I've been able to do in addition to having a private practice. Um, and so that, that has always been something that's been really lovely and, and very, I'm very fortunate to have had those opportunities. I think that with regard to the health at every size, part of my my job and my life again I speak about Boston I am really fortunate to live in a place that is really rich with thoughtful and lovely health at every size practitioners mm -hmm. um, I remember working at Walden um, and kind of squirreling my way into supervision with Beth Mayer and she's she is the director of the multi-service eating disorder association in Boston so she's um very very well known in the in the Boston eating disorder community um and I got myself into supervision with other with therapists I, so here I am as a dietitian saying I really want to be in supervision with the other therapists so I can I can learn how to do my job um, better. And I think that actually really is what started, is what started my health at every size, um, experience and journey. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of one of those things, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you see it, you'll never, you'll never go back. Yeah. Um, and so I've just been really lucky because the fact that I'm not at all interested in going back is, is very much supported by the people whom I work with and surround myself with. Um, which is really lucky. Yeah, Boston is quite a remarkable area. You know, um, being there not too long ago really highlighted for me how what an incredible city, which is full of very supportive health at every size centered therapists and dietitians, very active, um, a very active 
therapy space. It seems as if, you know, it's, I was, Marcy was telling me that, and correct me if I'm wrong, somebody will know if this is the case, that there's, I hope I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. If you do or you don't, that's cool. Um, that there are more therapists in the Boston greater area per, I think it's either per capita or per square mile than anywhere else in the States. I would completely believe that. <laughs> <laughs> we are saturated. So and there's, there's need. So Right. Yeah, that's I mean, that's it. If um, you know, to, to support folks who who um want and need that support, then you know, what a fantastic mm -hmm. therapeutic community and what a blessing, my goodness, as an eating disorder dietitian. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What a gift. Yes. So you mentioned people like Beth Mayer, and I know that um, you've got some other very influential people who mm -hmm. have been surrounding you for years. So for you, what, what's the power of that community? So I think the power of the community here in Boston is, is kind of just knowing, especially as, um, as a disabled person, navigating disability, and I didn't mean to bring this up, Fiona, so, but it crosses over to health at every size. Of course it does, yes, um, absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't realize that this community would be so integral to my own body acceptance journey, um, and which is obviously something that is evolving by the moment. Um, but it is literally kind of my lifeblood. I, like, I don't know, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a network of such smart, but also really strong um, and unapologetically clear that this is, you know, health at every size it is actually the only way to treat humans. Mm -hmm. If we're going to actually provide care to humans, it, it really has to be done from this lens. Mm -hmm. And so that, to have that echoed by the people around me is just such a gift. Yeah. So it provides a sense of stability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is which is really important, particularly as, you know, there are so many competing pressures, both within our profession and outside our profession, and of course, in wider diet culture. Mm -hmm. you know, and we're not we're not immune to those pressures as professionals as an as and as individuals. So it's um to have that sense of like anchor points almost. Absolutely. And this this is and I, I haven't spoken with anybody at great length since my interview with Christy about um, the body image survey that I did. Oh, yes. But, but, this, but this is what I'm talking about. This is the reason why, I mean, we are, as dietitians, uh, to be very, very clear, we are not impervious to the impact of diet culture. We have our own relationships with our bodies. And the number of people who approached me, or who, have, who have approached me since um, participating in my survey and said, oh, you know, Anna, I'm really sorry. Like, I wish that I could take that again because initially I think I took it really fast and I wasn't super thoughtful. And there were a couple places that maybe I would have said something a little bit more honestly if I thought about it. Um, and that to me was just, it's just a fascinating thing to have more than a small handful of people tell me that after taking this survey. Mm. Um, and I'm very excited at some point it will be published and I will oh, share. Yes, yes. And hopefully we'll, we'll ship you around to every single conference and every single workshop and uh, you'll have I'm a, up for it. Yeah. You'll have an honorary, um, pro professorial tenure <laughs> at 
I don't know, Harvard or <laughs> oh, I'm I'm ready for that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's going to happen, Anna, for sure. I see it. I see it now. Disabled dietitian gets pissed off at a conference and then puts together a survey for our 312 <laughs> yes. eating disorder dietitians <laughs> and realizes that we all have bodies. Oh Woo! my god. Revelation. Revelation. <laughs> Snap. Jinx. Totally. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are the best. Seriously. So let's, do you mind if we kind of just loop back just a little? No, no, no. That is. So, uh, so the, the start of this, how this all started kind of um, started marinating in your brain um, was to investigate the way that dietitians feel towards their own bodies. And so you developed a questionnaire very, very thoughtfully and then disseminated it across lots of different platforms. And mm -hmm. you've got over 300 responses, which is mm -hmm. fucking huge. Incredible. Huge. Yes, oh my God. Yes. Huge. So and lucky. So, oh. That's such a testament to your ability to um, tap into, you know, topics that we all are interested in and we all want to contribute to the, to understanding bodies and our own experience of our bodies and then how that influences the way we work with bodies of others, yeah. right? Yeah. So what were some of the major findings? If you were to kind of summarise a couple of the major findings from your questionnaire, what were they? Yeah. So I think some of the more interesting things, and obviously not surprisingly, about half of us are in recovery from um, an eating disorder or disordered eating. That is not shocking in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the questions that I asked that I thought were really, um, some again, something's not surprising. So people had experienced body image issues around all of kind of the normal Puberty, pregnancy, loss of athletic ability, change in bodily function, normal experiences where people would have a different um, assessment of their own bodies. So I think there was something very humanizing about that. Uh, when I started kind of digging into some of the questions that were more personal about, like, would you have plastic surgery? Would you have some kind of cosmetic surgery? Um, I was very interested that people said, no, they wouldn't. And then the next question was, would you tell your colleagues? And almost everyone said, no, I wouldn't. So um, the, of the people who said they wouldn't ever, you know, engage in, and it's not even a behavior, but have, you know, pay for alteration of their physical bodies, they said most people wouldn't do it, but almost no one would declare if they, if they did. Um, which I thought, I thought that was interesting. I think um, the most poignant thing for me, and if for what it's worth, every piece of data that I got from this study is statistically significant, which is, I think, is actually a really, like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the most poignant thing that I took away from this study was that about 30% of us, about a third of us, leave collegial settings we leave conferences feeling worse about our bodies than we did when we go when we oh. arrived at the conferences i and i know for certain um in the context of when i took the survey myself i was part of that 30 percent saying that i felt worse about my body mm -hmm. um but i think that that is a really interesting thing that when we are all smushed together in a space 
body comparison is a thing. And I didn't ask specifically, like, why is it that you feel worse about your body? Um, but I, I think, I mean, do, what do you think about that? Like, I think 30% of us, mm. that's a lot. It's a that's lot. A, that's a high number. Absolutely. Well, that's one in three for sure. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder about that because as, as soon as you said that figure, I, of course, my mind automatically kind of jumped to, ooh, that's really interesting. I wonder what's driving that or I wonder what's, mm -hmm. you know, um, bubbling, bringing that bubbling up to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So let me have a think. I'm wondering whether it's things like comparisons in general. Amen. And then that is ascribed to the body. I wonder, that's mm -hmm. kind of my first thought, is that when we see people doing things that we admire or we see people, um, quote, unquote, achieving things uh, without always knowing the full picture, of course, um, and when there's a whole bunch of maybe... Uh, like people in the room by like what I mean is maybe um, similar or same profession yeah, yes. similar or same gender similar or same kind of age group level of ability um, orientation yada yada income yada yada you know mm -hmm. I just wonder whether it all boils down to that to comparison being ascribed to the body I guess yeah no and I think that's a really realistic thing and I think in terms of even thinking about that in terms of our clients, the moments when we start hearing about negative body image, generally speaking, there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, that, I think that you are likely entirely correct. So it could be about, you know, she had this really cute, or he or she had like a really cute top on or something like that. Um, or it's, it's about, I think I think that you're I think that you're correct. I think it is about and I, I mean speaking to you, Fiona, and you and Marcy just finished your like global well not finished. London no, is coming. Yeah, we got London um, coming. <laughs> um, but I mean thinking about that, I sat twice in in a room with really incredible humans. Right. At, at, and I didn't leave your workshops feeling differently about my body, but mm -hmm. I. I wonder if I think that that's a really good point that it's it's more than just the body, mm. but I just for what it's worth I I also did get outreach about the fact that it is about the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not about the body, but it is about the body. Yep, that's exactly yep. right. Because it if if meaning is being ascribed to the body, then our human tendency is to see the body as then something to be altered, molded modified etc etc to deal absolutely with what we see as our source of imperfection or our flaws mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's really really interesting I guess it's the difference between just say for example um going to a conference which is let's just say let's just really general here and say at an average national or even state dietetic conference there's going to be a big percentage of slender youngish mm -hmm. women yep so it has not escaped me when I am in those circles like I notice it I really notice it and I wonder whether the work that we have done ourselves um, acts as like a protective factor 
Mm. and as a risk factor as well. So, for example, mm -hmm. I look around and I, I don't see it as a good thing. I, I, no. I don't see it as a good thing. I see it, nope. you know, the lack of diversity as a real red flag for our profession, actually. Uh, yes. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I think about that from just a human, from a humanistic perspective, Mm. What it what it feels like, I mean, think, in thinking about our clients, what it what it means to be sitting with a, a dietitian who may or may not look similarly to you, mm. but kind of fits into one very specific mold. And it's, I mean, it's very. I think that it's it's. I think it's unfortunate that our. Um, field has yet to do more to kind of diversify itself. I think there, you know, there are things happening. Um, but I, I, I think it's a lost opportunity mm. Mm. for, for human connection. Yes, absolutely. Well, and your survey really illustrated some of the harm that can come of that. I mean, if we're even vaguely on track with our suspicions, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that's a worry. It's a real worry. <laughs> you bet it is. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And, I mean, thinking about that from kind of an exclusionary perspective, if we, mostly white, thin women, are feeling this way, imagine what it would feel mm. like to be not a white, thin woman trying to enter this field. Ugh. Yep. Gross. Gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary and threatening. Yes, and yes. Exclusive and mm, yeah. I know there's and, um, and, sorry, go on. No, and not it, the sad thing is like we, we by not having a more diverse pool to pull from as dietitians, I think we are like we're likely missing people. People oh, are probably yeah. not coming to see us because. Uh, because of the fact that we fit into this one very specific mold. Right. And obviously that's just about physique. So it's not, that's not everything, but, but it, it's meaningful. Yeah. And I yeah. don't mean it just, it's more than physique. It's race and all of those things, but it's just, yeah, I just, uh, I just, I just wonder, I wonder how this extends to, yeah. When, when we are with another human being, if 30% of our colleagues are leaving conferences or collegial kind of mm -hmm. environments feeling worse about themselves. I wonder how many of our clients leave sessions with us feeling worse about themselves and what That's that a really good question. Oh, it's a really uncomfortable question actually, because yes then what does that mean in terms of the work that we do individually mm -hmm. and, and collectively as well? Mm -hmm. oh, Anna, we've opened up a can of worms. God oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but, but I hope that this is, I hope that these are not questions that are, are not asked because I think that we um, will miss the opportunity to understand more about the work that we are doing and we'll miss an opportunity to do better. Yeah. So I hope, I hope that, that these questions continue to be things that are discussed. 
Yeah, absolutely. Both, both in, you know, individual conversations, like mm-hmm. you, know, you and I are literally having a one-on-one conversation, but then this podcast will go out to hopefully lots of people. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Cross fingers. Well, it will, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it, it hopefully uh, people can then have a think about it, take this kind of question to supervision, start talking about it in our collegial circles mm-hmm. so that we can then understand more deeply about what client-centered practice actually means mm. for us. It's not just, you know, so I'll tell you something really interesting that I heard at the, um, at the International Congress of Eating Disorders just recently. It was, it was a session, um, it was like a health at every size oriented session. And one of the dietitians there, who's somebody that's very well known within the academy, not somebody who I know personally at all, um, she made a comment and said, you know, I think that, you know, client-centered practice is about, you know, being welcome and, um, you know, creating a space where, you know, people feel, you know, welcome and included and yada, yada, yada. And in that moment, it just really struck me that actually client-centered practice is about so much more than being a quote unquote, a nice person or being a Mm -hmm. lovely dietitian. It is Mm -hmm. so much more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, being, being inclusive. I mean, now of course we're hearing the words inclusion and inclusivity. I feel like it's being thrown about a bit, both in a good way, really fantastic way. And then also in a way where I'm like, uh, that quote from the Princess Bride, I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> That's my favorite movie, by the way. I'm the worst oh. to watch it with because I know every line and I say every single line. Oh, I would watch that with you any day, Anna. Oh, no, you'd hate it. I promise. <laughs> you'd hate it. Yeah, so it just, that, that in that moment, that really struck me. It's like, oh, wow. So, you know, we've got a little way to go. Yeah. Really yes. deep understanding. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And be nice anyway. Oh, and God, make yeah. people feel welcome anyway. Um, and it is far bigger than than that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness me. All right. So hopefully we've given folks something maybe to have have a little bit of think about is, mm. you know, how do how do we feel in collegial settings? What are our what kind of bubbles up for us? Um, you know, um, and what do we notice? I mean, you know, one of my favorite questions, Anna, is, you know, what, what do you notice in your body? Do you mm-hmm. notice that you're feeling tense or relaxed or at ease or, you know, um, hot, cold? What, what do you notice in your body? And then what can, what can that tell you about your experience? And, um, and there are some very, very good reasons why we choose to temper, um, the exposure that we have to colleagues. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean by that is that I know if I surround myself with my eating disorder and health at every size colleagues, it's just like a big, massive warm hug. I feel like I'm in a spa bath, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. awesome. And there are times when I'm going to be really honest, when I go to a a broader circle, I feel really deeply uncomfortable. Um, I feel icky. I don't this is why I'm so glad that I live in Boston because I get to control my pool. <laughs> the temperature of your pool. Love it's, it. lov- it's lovely. <laughs> so we should all move to Boston. 
that's a solution. It's one solution. solution. Or we should change the world. I think that one's probably better. Oh, uh, I was hoping to just do the quick and easy jump. Uh, Well, you're welcome. (laughs) I mean, I know there's people that would give you lots of space in their homes. Oh, you know what, Anna? Your president is such an ass that there is (laughs) no way that... I would not recommend coming here now. No, no, but beyond that, like even it seriously, even if I wanted to move there for a year or two or whatever, he's like, no foreigners on our shores, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's a, I didn't even do an accent, you know, but you, you, you block, you block for people that you perceive you don't want, which is a whole nother fucking ball of shit. But yes. then, then you, then you stop everyone. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't get the people that you, that might make a contribution to your community anyway <laughs> political talk. it's very political yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i would go there but the thing is if i start then i can't stop and i no. i would like to have a conversation with you i know i'd rather have a conversation with you too Anna. <laughs> okay all right so if it's okay with you um we might segue a little because i know there's something that really gets you fired up um yes and and I'm wondering if we might be able to open that box <laughs> because we I, I noticed it was a it was a month or two ago now you um you I noticed online you um, expressing some opinions around what we might call therapeutic diets and I was like oh Anna hello you've got some <laughs> wonderful very strong opinions on this and yes. then you and I followed up that conversation at, at our Boston. Um, loving and um, and so I'm really curious if you wouldn't mind speaking a little about about your experience with yeah what we might know as therapeutic I, diets I would I would love it and so just to give a little a little context to the reason why I have such strong feelings about this I think I'm thinking about this as as a dietitian of course because we've all had clients who have come to us saying they're gluten-free or dairy-free or soy-free because their chiropractor or their neighbor's cat told them that they should be. Yeah. Um, it, just because diagnoses is, is pretty readily available at this point, and sometimes it's not even a diagnostic thing. I think in, in the States in, I think it was 2016, um, so 1% of the U.S. population has celiac disease, and... 30% of the country followed a gluten-free diet. Oh, wow. Like that's, or attempted to follow a gluten-free diet. That, like that's, that's diet culture. That's nothing else. That's, that is simply diet culture showing up and changing the way that we interact with food in the grocery store and mm-hmm. changing the way that we spend our money. Um, but so to tell a little bit of a personal story. So I have had, Um, multiple sclerosis since I was 15 and I am no longer 15. Um, and it's, and it's in retrospect, it's actually a little longer than, than that. But, um, I have moved into a stage of my disease where I, I now I have progressive MS. Um, and I remember, I, I think about, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I, was really noticing a change in my physical abilities. Um, my, my body was changing in a way that felt very alarming. Uh, and there's at, at the point in my d- disease that I'm in now, there's really nothing that can be done to ameliorate 
um, symptoms. It's just like that my neurologist just like says, sorry, mm-hmm. um, this is, this is what we do, uh, or this is just kind of what this looks like. And so I, I don't know if somebody had suggested that I read and I'm going to actually use her name here. I'm going to talk. Terry Walls wrote a book. She's a, a medical doctor, wrote a book. Uh, and the cover of the book says, How I Healed Myself from Progressive Multiple Sclerosis. First, I, like that should have actually been my first line of caution because you can't actually do that. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't heal yourself from progressive MS because that's not how this disease works. There's no such thing. There's no cure for the disease at this point. But I was in a desperate space and I read the book and it sounded credible. It sounded reasonable. And I thought, okay, like what the hell? I'm having no fun in my body right now. I'm going to try this. Uh, and I actually, I felt so like, I felt so icky about it because I, I am not someone who has ever dieted in my life. Um, and a big part of my life and a big part of what I really enjoy is, is eating food with my clients. So I brought this to a supervision group and said, guys, like, what do you think? I feel like I'm too smart to not do this um, because I, w- I want to give this a try, right? I'm in this desperate space. And of course, the women that I was sitting with said, of course, Anna, like, take care of yourself. This is really important that you do this. Um, if it's what feels most important to you or if it feels like something that's in line with what you want to try. And it's, it's interesting because everyone in Boston, um, because I'm pretty active in the eating or not pretty, I'm very active in the eating disorder community. Um, I have, my, my disability has been on display. It's been witnessed by all the people in Boston. Mm -hmm. So sitting with these women and getting support to follow this diet I think I kind of needed their nod of approval to say like, you can still be a good dietitian and not eat with your clients. Um, yeah. And so I did it. I tried this crazy thing and I, I don't know if it's helpful for me to, I don't know that I, I actually, it doesn't matter. Um, so I was eating like nine cups of vegetables a day and I was eating organ meat, which is disgusting on a weekly basis. And I, Effectively, if I if I would have followed this diet to the extent of the diet, I would have been eating twice a day, 12 hours apart, basically following a ketogenic diet. Mm. Um, Yikes. Amen. Yeah. Um, and I... By the time I kind of got through, I think I'm, so I think I followed this diet for about six months. I didn't ever get, again, I didn't get to the, I think she called it like the paleo plus or something like that. I never, I never got there um, because by the time I was deeply in this diet, I was hating food. For the first time in my life, I wasn't following my intuition around what I was going to eat or when I was going to eat or how I was going to eat. I wasn't able to celebrate birthdays. And I didn't, I remember having like a holiday where I, like I didn't eat the grains and I didn't eat the vegetables that my grandma brought because there was cheese on that. It's just like crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt really, really 
I'm pretty ardent about following this plan because there was this promise of, well, I'm not in a wheelchair yet. And if it worked for her, it could work for me. Um, and come to the end of six months, I felt mostly the same. I felt really disconnected from my, my body. I felt like, ugh, this food is just not, this is not how I want to be with food. Uh, and I really recognized that I had just, I had fallen into my first diet trap and the heartbreaking part at the end was I still fucking had MS, yeah. right? And I was still in the same place that I was before, but I literally, I put aside, it's funny, like, cause at the beginning, I remember talking to my supervision group and saying, I'm too smart to not try this. And upon finishing, I'm like, I'm way too fucking smart to have tried that ever. What am I doing? <laughs> um, and really, the importance of getting back to a place of being able to eat intuitively and really just listen to my body, that, that is the thing that leaves me feeling the best. Mm. It's, it's not about following some random, arbitrary, nasty diet plan. It's about being in tune with my body and practicing gentle acceptance of the fact that there are parts of my lived experience that are just going to be hard, mm -hmm. but fucking with my relationship with food isn't going to solve that. Mm. So thinking about that in terms of the work that we do, mm -hmm. um, I, I, well, I don't know. I'm curious about, like about, I've been talking for a while. So do you have anything for me? Yeah, as you were talking, it just really struck me how, um, you know, when you had read the book and you were having a pretty rough time of it, a very rough time of it by the mm -hmm. sounds of it. And as you said, you know, as an evidence-based practitioner and somebody who's having a rough time with their body, it feels like you felt like it feels like you wanted to try it because um, you not only wanted to feel better, but what if it was going mm -hmm. to really help you? What if it was going to work the way it had for the author, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what ifs? And I think we can all, as humans, we can empathize with that. We can say, you know, if any of us were diagnosed with anything, regardless of whether it was progressive or not, that it is our human desire to want to avoid the pain that comes with uncertainty and with physical and emotional pain, disappointment, um, uh, uh, limitations to our, our life physically, emotionally, socially, and so it completely, completely makes sense. And as you were talking, you really took me on a roller coaster because I was like, I can feel your hope and then I can sense your, <laughs> your, your real hatred of that experience. And what really struck me, Anna, as you were talking is the way it took you away from your body mm. and, how Big time. and how poignant that is for us as humans, but for us as practitioners to keep in mind 
when, not if, but when our clients come to us for, and maybe they want to try a therapeutic diet or maybe just a general diet, weight loss mm-hmm. diet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, such a, such a, a normal human. And I think you, you very eloquently stated it. It's very, very normal and very human to want to, you know, fix it, to want to feel, oh feel better, feel well, be well, whatever that means. Um, and I think <laughs> I was, I, I'm, I'm having a very hard time right now because, and I, I don't mean to be changing gears, but I'm going to change gears really fast. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if you have pet commercials, like the ones that we have in the States, but right now there's like this crazy orthorexic pet food thing happening <gasps> where like you buy this like corn free, gluten free, soy free, blah, 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 blah for your pet. Um, and really appealing to the diet mentality that says, if you're going to be a good pet owner, you're going to buy this very specific, clean, clean dog food. It's like, this is such a bullshit. I can't get my head around it. Oh my gosh. And that's, that's for a, that's for a four legged friend. That is not that. And that's that. I mean, that's crazy. And, and I completely appreciate how like we humans, we are fallible and there are going to be things that are going to make us vulnerable and are going to certainly put us as humans and clinicians, but also our clients in positions where they, they want to try, you know, they want to try something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if it's open for kind of, well, this is open for my opinions. I just, yes, I, I have very strong feelings about uh, therapeutic diets. And a lot of these opinions are actually based in the fact, like I've worked in at all levels of eating disorder care. And in the last 10 years, I have seen, and I, I don't know, I think probably more lately than ever before, but our clients are coming to us with a bunch of of diagnosed allergens or a bunch of things that they're trying to exclude from their diet for one reason or another. Um, because again, it's very, um, omnipresent. The idea the, these kind of therapeutic diets are recommended in such a blanket and I actually want to say pretty thoughtless way. Sure. Um, because it's, I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to be thoughtful when you are jumping after somebody's kind of emotion mind and they want this, they want an answer right now, fix me, make this better. Uh, and I completely understand the appeal of going after that. For sure. But I, I think that we are doing our clients a really dramatic disservice mm-hmm. when we, when we do that without a really solid explanation because, and I think the post that I put on Instagram was about the idea that know that when you are selling therapeutic diets, you are selling way more than just food. You are putting people's hopes and dreams and wishes in their experience with what they're eating. Yes. And food last I checked, although food is lovely, it is not magical. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so if, I mean, with the exception of somebody having an allergy, um, there's there's just like no such thing as a magic food. And because of the way diet culture works right now, there's, I mean, 
and it's, it's so different. I mean, I think when I first started in the field, it was, people were scared of carbohydrates or fats. And now it's about cleanliness and perfection. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very, it's very different from where, when, when I first kind of became a practitioner. Uh, and so because of how germane this language is and this fear is, uh, I think in my very humble opinion, uh, I actually think that we do pretty significant harm if we are not exceptionally thoughtful when it comes to making recommendations about food choices and food dietary changes that will impact our clients' lives in every single part of their, their, their existence. Yep. Yeah. Uh, could not agree more. 100% agree. I'm wondering if I'm thinking that a majority of the folks listening are going to be thinking, yeah, but I don't prescribe therapeutic diets. Mm -hmm. So how do I respond when my client comes to me and they have been recommended a th therapeutic diet either by Dr. Google or as you say, the neighbors, mm -hmm. or maybe it mm -hmm. is another health professional. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, and they're saying that they may or may not ask, you know, what do you think? I mean, right. you know what? If you have a client that asks you your opinion, you're already doing a really good job. <laughs> you know, a client who, who values your opinion and he's actually asking, I'm genuinely interested, what do you think? And they're quite mm -hmm. undecided. You know, and some folks might see parallels with, for example, with, um, uh, with um, weight loss surgery. Right. What do you think? I'm coming mm -hmm. to you, what do you think? I don't mm -hmm. really want to do it, but... I also don't want to not do it just in case it is this elixir that I've been led to believe it is, or just in case I die in a right. week or something. Right. So uh, what might be helpful is for us to maybe chat through, you know, how we, how we might um, as, as practitioners, if clients come to us or maybe, maybe they're asking our opinion, maybe they're not even asking our opinion and how we can remain stable Mm -hmm. um, and in that place of equanimity, because I know for me, and to understand our vulnerabilities, because what I was going to say is I know for me, I get so hot under the collar um, because I have strong feelings. Mm -hmm. But then I don't want to uh, rob the person in front of me of having their own experience. Right. I also don't want them to fuck it up. Do you know what I mean? Like... Mm -hmm. Ah, so there are times when even I feel really, really stuck. So, you know, how, right. what would you say? Hmm. So, I, I mean, I think and you bring a very good point to this. Like if a client is coming to us and asking our opinions and not just going with the neighbor's cat's recommendation, um, big kudos to us. And... I, I don't, again, I don't think people look into therapeutic diets or look to alter the way that they are interacting with food without cause. I think people sure. are, are suffering or are having whatever difficult time they're having. The last thing that we necessarily want to do is actually meet them with kind of a critical response. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think we can stay curious with them and really explore the pros and cons and what, you know, what does this mean for you from a nutritional perspective? What does this mean from you, for you, for, from a social perspective and from a, an employment perspective? What, like, what does this look like 
for your whole life. And then as nutrition professionals, we can accompany them on this journey because the last thing that I would want to have happen is to have my very visceral response, which would be like, run the hell away. Don't do that. Um, But then I have my client and they're dealing with what the decision they've made about food. And I'm not there to support them in, in the process. That feels more damaging than my saying, I don't necessarily think this is going to be effective and I am happy to be with you in this part of your journey. Yeah. So providing a space where people's experiences can be validated and, and that we can, and that we're really considerate about keeping an eye on our own reactivity mm-hmm. so that we're not allowing our own reactivity to overshadow um, to overshadow a sense of of really deeply understanding the reasons why um, people are making these decisions. Because one thing that I've really come to understand, and it's inc- I'm increasingly understanding it, it started a little while ago and it's really kind of something I'm becoming much more clear about, and that is that we don't make major decisions like eating awful, for example, <laughs> uh, um, or ketogenic diets or, um, you know, making dramatic changes or entering, you know, you're go- going for surgery, for example, um, or doing shakes or doing whatever. We don't do those things because we really want to do them um, because the no. process of them is mostly probably deeply uncomfortable. Um, but that understanding that our desires don't exist in a bubble so fruit and that it's not a necessarily a neutral decision and what I mean by that particularly when it comes to um, particularly when it comes to weight loss diets that the cultural undertone and overtone is such that it's not an equal decision it's not mm. like should I do this or should I do this? And they don't exactly have equal weighting, pardon the pun. Mm. They don't, (laughs) you know. Um, So if we, you know, if we kind of hold the belief that, you know, each of the lots of major life decisions, particularly around dietary changes, um, are equal in value in people's heads, lives and experiences, then I think we're kind of missing a major point of it. And that is that they're not people who particularly people who have, um, who are experiencing a lot of um, discomfort um, or pain in their body, whether that's physical or emotional. Well, of course, we're human. We don't want to, we don't want to live in pain. We want, we, we want to live with ease. That is our human tendency. Um, And part of that is reducing stigma and reducing our exposure to stigmatizing situations so if we can change our body and then we can reduce our experiences of um cultural based stigma then of Mm -hmm. course oh my goodness it totally totally makes sense and therapeutic diets in lots of ways strikes me as really similar um that you know the stigma of for example um and the anxiety maybe of having um um unpredictable bowels for example oh my goodness well no wonder you would want to try something 
dramatic if of you course. weren't if you weren't too sure about your bowel habits. Like completely makes sense. Yep. Yep. And the unfortunate part about that is while it does make sense, um, it's not necessarily going to offer the solution that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's not to say that there aren't, you know, it's not to say that there aren't things that will, well, I, you know, to be honest, with you, I don't even know. Like there are things that work from for one person and not another person. Yeah. Um, and so this is really about individualized care and being really thoughtful about what we are, you know, speaking to our clients about and how we're, we're meeting them really, again, meeting them really where they are, but really appreciating and understanding why they would be so inclined to seek out solutions that are kind of the too good to be true kind. Yeah. Um, it, they, they are, they're too good to be true. And yeah. you'd be in some ways like kind of foolish not to, not to try it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder also, Anna, as you were talking then, it was really striking me that what these kind of ways of thinking can lead us to is that, you know, take take your experience, for example. After six months, you know, are you left with the feeling of, oh, I, I, I didn't do it well enough and therefore that's why my MS didn't improve or, you know, I, I, I didn't do it right or there's something wrong with me or maybe I need to do it more or that frightens me a bit too. Well, well totally. And, and to answer your question, um, and this is why I feel so grateful for the work that I do because I was able to put this in context, but I imagine for someone else who doesn't have the supportive community that I do and doesn't do what I do for a living. Um, I, I initially, and there were times that I did take this or take the diet very, very seriously and take a lot of personal responsibility for it. This isn't working, but it's not working because I never took it to the eating only twice a day place. Oh. I never actually like went to that, that extent. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe if I had, then I would have been starving mm -hmm. <laughs> because like it really, it, it, now that I'm in hot, now this is in the rear view mirror, I look at it and it's like, Oh my gosh, you poor baby. Like you were just scared and desperate and I have, I have a lot of compassion for that part of myself that wanted to, to, you know, put my hope in course. this mystery solution because, and, and that, that is what, um, that, that's, that's what all of these therapeutic diets are. They are just like mysterious solutions for sale and everyone is selling them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, of course, felt personally culpable for the lack of success and there there are times and even now like I think and this is more about just being in touch with my body but if I wake up and I've, I'm having like a day that is different from the day before I will go back and be like oh what did I eat what did I do differently and at the end of the day like it doesn't matter what I eat it's just that I have this weird disease that changes every day mm -hmm. um and when I was following this diet, I felt exceptionally responsible for every piece of it. I felt yeah. responsible. I felt like I was to blame when it wasn't going the way I wanted to. And I am a non-diet dietitian. 
right? So I spend my life talking about health at every size and helping people get off the diet bandwagon. And I, I was well in. And I, I, I recognize that I, um, I know better, but I just, I feel actually very uniquely uh, fortunate for having my, my frame of reference and to not fall into the place of just blaming myself because, well, I have a progressive disease and that's a ridiculous thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I mean, how many clients do, do we take care of who blame themselves when their diets don't work? This is, mm-hmm. I, I talk about this all the time and here I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I can't imagine. That's hypocrisy. Oh, it would have been so tricky for you because you were actually just trying to do the right thing across the board. You were trying to do the right thing for yourself and do the right thing for your clients. So that kind of clash must have, gosh, Oof. just must have been so challenging. It was a little dissonance right there. Yeah, yes. Right. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. But the common underlying thing was you were doing, you were really trying to do what you could, right? Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, and I, the, the additional thing is I'm wondering how folks feel or whether they do feel that they have choice. So, for example, um, you know, if you have a diagnosis, uh, for example, you have a cancer diagnosis or um, a, a, like yours, a more neurological-based diagnosis, I wonder if folks are like, yeah, I can see there might, might, might be some evidence of that, but actually don't want to do it just don't mm-hmm. want to do it and I imagine there is some weird pressure there too um you know if you don't want to right mm. right and what does that mean about you if you don't yeah yeah so you're you know you're not buying in you're not participating in this thing that could potentially mm-hmm. really really help you and that means something about you and the kind of person that you are <sighs> It's just such a gross. It is. It's such a mess. It's such a mm-hmm. mess. Because then you, you know, potentially other people's opinions will be quite, um, I, I imagine other people have all kinds of opinions <laughs> about, uh, well, of course, other people opi- have opinions on bodies in general and how what we should or should not be doing to our bodies mm-hmm. or what we should or should mm-hmm. not be feeding our bodies, let alone, you know, our children and our community and et cetera, et cetera. So the therapeutic diet police sounds um, <laughs> like they can kind of come out and play when we choose not to for, for whatever reason. You know, the, the body autonomy actually mm-hmm. means we can choose to not do something, even if there seems to be good evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And we still have choice. We And we always have choice. And we always have choice. And so do our clients. Yes. And so, and I think that's, that's a really important thing to be, I mean, we have autonomy. We have the ability to make decisions about how we take care of ourselves and I've worked with, I've actually had a couple of clients um, come to me on semi-restrictive diets, like therapeutic diets, uh, and the way that I've always 
managed them, it really, it, it actually changed status post my own experience um, in that I, at one point, was very, very uh, anti-therapeutic diet in, in a way that I was just, like, I would shut it down. Uh, and I, I don't, I didn't lose clients over that, but I certainly lost um, a really valuable therapeutic experience for a client to be able to kind of go on their own voyage and have their yeah. own experience and coming back to a place of body trust upon conclusion of said therapeutic diet, because they always yeah, conclude yeah. <laughs> there's always yeah. an end. Uh, and my hope is that the people that I work with and the people that we all work with leave these situations feeling more empowered and feeling better um, capable of taking care of our bodies yes. and their own bodies. Ain't that just the truth? Mm. That if we can leave folks feeling more capable and more confident in taking care of their bodies as they are, as they age, as they deteriorate, as things shift and change, that actually that's a pretty good well job job well done yes mm -hmm. beautiful oh Anna I can't wait for our next conversation because uh yeah we could keep going for hours pretty much and we have in the past so. mm -hmm. we will again <laughs> so we will again um so tell us a little bit about where where, where can the folks find out more about you and when are your new photos coming out <gasps> I don't know. I'm dying though. Oh. It's, supposed, it's supposed to be very, very, very soon. Um, and I have to tell you, Fiona, it, it was, and I actually did tell you this already, but it was, it was just so delightful to have pictures taken of like, have my pictures taken with my walking aids and with my, the, the parts of me that are disabled, visible. Yes. Uh, it was, it was, it was such a celebration. It was so wonderful. I can't wait. I promise you when I have them, I will make them widely, widely available. Fantastic. Fantastic. You'll get I, sick I, I, of I, my face. <laughs> I could never get sick of you. I could never get oh. sick of you. Any part <laughs> of you. <laughs> well, it's going to be everywhere. So get ready, guys. Awesome. So I know you're across a couple of different social media platforms yeah. your, on your website. So where can people find you? So my website is, uh, I'm, I'm at wholeliferd.com. Uh, and I am at Dietitian Anna on Instagram and Twitter uh, and my Facebook page. I think you can find me there, but don't worry about Facebook. It's not, I'm not putting my time and energy there because Instagram no. is taking over my life. I um, know. And it's Instagram okay. It's okay. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I can't stop. Um, but I would, I would love to connect. It's actually, I didn't, I didn't know how personally rewarding um, a social media platform can be. I also know that it can be super, super, super damaging, uh, but the way that I am utilizing social media right now feels so, so good for me. It just, it just feels great. Oh, that's so I hope, I hope you guys will connect with me. Oh yeah. And for anybody that isn't connected with Anna, particularly on Instagram, just your posts. I just love them. Like one, oh, one, one little heart or a fist bump is just not enough. So some, ah! um, yeah, no, I really love the diversity of the, of the, of the things that you quote and that you share and you're so generous with, you know, sharing other people's things. And it's just, um, 
oh, it just reminds us that we're not alone, right? At the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Anna, such a pleasure. Thank you so, so, so much. I can't wait for our next conversation and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.